You're listening to the Grace City Boston podcast. If you would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at gracecityboston.com or follow us on social media at Grace City Boston. Now, let's get to the sermon. It may be true that my grandfather is a living, breathing, walking saint. Now, you don't know him, but he is slow to speak. He speaks with fire and conviction for the things that are good, for things that matter. Yet he's tender-hearted and really, really quick to love and care. Has a hard time getting through stories, whether that's a, about a jazz drummer named Buddy Rich, who maybe only a hand of few of you actually know, or whether it's stories about Jesus Christ, the Lord himself, you'll always hear the tears breaking his voice before you see them. Now, there was a time when Christine and I were first married that she didn't quite know just how good Popsy is. So we were newly married, working on in-law dynamics. I don't know if you've been there, but it's a a game. It's a a push and pull. It's a back and forth with some in-laws. And so Christine and I were still figuring these dynamics out. Christine, if you know anything about her, she has a new hobby all the time, but she's a maker. She's always crafting and always working. So she had applied for a maker's market in Atlanta, and my Honda sedan was not going to bring all of her clothes down to Atlanta with us. So I told her, call Popsy. Ask him to borrow his truck. She wouldn't. She was afraid. She was nervous. She didn't know how he would respond. But I knew Popsy. He's a living, breathing, walking saint. So while we were in the car, I call him. I say, Popsy, Christine has something to ask you. She's embarrassed. I put her right on the spot, right there on purpose. She says, Popsy, would it be okay if I borrowed your truck so I could drive to Atlanta for this this maker's fair? He said, you were nervous to ask me that? Yes. Yes, of course, yeah. I told him right there on the phone, I said, Popsy, Christine was nervous to ask you. She was afraid that it would bother you to use your truck. And you heard the tears in his voice before you could see anything. His voice breaks and he says, Christine, my grandchildren can ask anything of me that they need. It is so nice to have you here this morning. My name is David Schumann. If I haven't had a chance uh, to meet you or to maybe you haven't been here when I've preached, um, it is my joy, it is my honor to bring the word this morning. Um, the, the lesson here is, is really this. After understanding her relationship with my grandfather, my, my wife didn't hesitate to ask for things any longer. She knew his character. She knew his yes. She knew how sweet that he was anytime, all the time. And this is our first lesson before we even get into our first sermon. Today, I have the, the privilege, I have the honor to begin our sermon series in, in prayer that we're calling Pray Like This. Now, there's no better frame of reference than the Lord's Prayer to learn about prayer. So this is a prayer that Jameer just read. This is in Luke 11. It's also a little bit of a larger version. is in Matthew 6. And we've chosen prayer on purpose. Prayer is the DNA, the DNA of our church. 
prayer is the DNA of God's people. So no matter where you are with prayer, I just want to say, welcome here. You are, you are welcome here. You may be somebody who is skeptical that prayer does anything at all. That it sounds f like a figment of the imagination. That it sounds like talking to thin air. That changes nothing. And you're welcome here. You may be somebody who wakes up to pray at 4 a.m. And you're praying and fasting before church starts at 9 a.m. Hey, you're welcome here. Come on. That's good stuff. But either way, this prayer, we believe, is a powerful and effective thing that not only changes our hearts and changes our church, we believe it changes the fabric of reality. So pray then like this. And we're going to get into this today. I want to keep you with me this morning because I, I have a tendency to talk way too much when I'm up here just um, going. So there's these three uh, lessons that we're going to learn about today. The first one is Jesus' prayer. You've heard it already, but we're going to talk about some of the background of Jesus' prayer. The second is persistence and playing in the sanctuary. Persistence and playing in the sanctuary. And then the last lesson that we're going to talk about is our father in the courtroom. So before we get into our series on prayer, I think it right that we begin it with prayer. So would you join me? Let's pray together to our Father. Our Father in heaven, you're good and your name is holy. We pray that you provide for us. We pray that you would forgive us as we are those who are forgiving others. We pray that you lead us away from temptation um, because we know that you hold all of the power. God, we believe that this space is yours uniquely. God, it's not Grace City's. It's certainly not mine. Jesus, Father, this, this space is yours. So we pray that you would work in it today as you would, as you would want. So God, we, we pray all of this uh, because you have loved us first. I, um, I pray that the worship, that the teaching today uh, comes from you. God, that, we've we, that we cultivate it in a way that is honoring to you, yes, but God, that anything that really is productive today, that it comes from you. God, we can do a lot of things, but we cannot move hearts, we cannot move your spirit, but God, you can, so please send your Holy Spirit today. Anything that is of me that is selfish, I pray that it just falls flat. I pray that it's unproductive, that it looks foolish, it goes nowhere. But Jesus, anything of you, I pray that it affects our hearts. I pray that it changes us forever, that we would leave here as different people from death to life. King, you do this for your name, and we pray it be done. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Good morning. It is good to have you here today. So we're going to talk about the first topic. This is Jesus' prayer or the Lord's prayer. It's really the same name. Jesus' prayer. is Jesus is our Lord. So the Lord's prayer or Jesus' prayer. Um, this is something that I have a lot of experience with when I was growing up. So I grew up as a pastor's kid. So my, my parents were good to teach me this when I was young. And so I would just rip through it like the ABCs. Like I didn't actually know what this prayer said. I just kind of, I just kind of said it, recited it very, very quickly, like the preamble to the Constitution, right? I could just, I could just rip right through it. Um, now, I don't know if you had that experience as well. If you came from a Christianized culture, it's a possibility that you did. A Christianized culture being uh, in the United States, it's like the Southeast, the, some of the Midwest, and then some places in California. Um, and this is not necessarily a Christian culture, but it's a culture that has been deeply affected 
that's been deeply affected by Christian history or, or the Bible. And so it's not fully Christian. In fact, some places in those cultures do things that are even, that are even against the faith. But it has been a, a culture that is strongly influenced by Christianity. So I grew up in this Christianized kind of culture. And so I heard this, um, I heard this often. I heard this at the 8.30 old people service every morning with the organ. Somebody said, come on, <laughs> bring organ back, come on. All right, um, I heard this at the 8.30 service every morning when I, could, when I would show up with my twin brother and play Yu-Gi-Oh cards on the floor. And so we would, uh, we would hear this, and I could say it while I was, while I was dealing cards, right? I was um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And I could, just keep, I could just keep going without missing a beat. If you don't know this prayer, though, you're in for a treat. I mean, it's good. It's a really, really good prayer. So let's read this. This is Luke's version. It's a little bit shorter. We will be doing Matthew's version as well, um, but Luke's version is what I'm reading today. It says this, starting in chapter 11, starting in verse 1, it says this. He was praying, that's Jesus. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. That's John the Baptist. He said to them, Whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. That'll be a good sermon. That's, that's, another, that's another one coming up. And do not bring us into temptation. Now, let me give some background for the Lord's Prayer, because if you're like me, you can rip right through it, um, but you may not know the background for this. Now, Jesus, we know him as Lord, we know him as Son of God, uh, but Jesus, at this time, was a rabbi, and he was recognized and known as a Jewish rabbi. But he was quite a unique one, wasn't he? So if you know anything about Jesus, he was known for breaking rules, rules that God had not, that God had not ordained, but rather the church had ordained at the time. So he would do things like heal people on the Sabbath, and everybody would get angry at him for it. Or he would do things like reach out to a leper who was supposed to be outcast, and people would question why he's talking to Samaritans or, or sick people. So that made him very unique. He was breaking rules all the time as this Jewish rabbi. He was, as we, uh, as we know as well, he was the son of God. That makes him unique too. So he was not only a good Jewish rabbi, he was divine. And this, this gives us good reason to learn from him uh, this many years later, of course, since he's our Lord. Now, disciples of rabbis often ask for distinct prayers. So this is, this is an interesting bit of history for us today. When certain disciples would follow specific or especially distinguished rabbis, they would ask for a certain prayer. This would distinguish them from other schools of thought and mark them as someone following that particular rabbi. It would mark them uh, to the community, especially the Jewish religious community around them. We see this right here in verse 1. Uh, don't take my word for it. We actually see it right here in the text. It says, he was praying in a certain place, and when Jesus finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples a prayer of his own. So they wanted something unique from Jesus. They wanted this prayer uniquely from Jesus. And what's funny is when the disciples have some sort of prideful argument going on, Jesus is quick to rebuke them. In this case, 
Jesus does not rebuke them, but rather teaches them to pray as he would want them to teach, as he would want to teach them how to pray. And he says, pray then like this. So this is technically Jesus' prayer to distinguish his disciples from the other disciples around. So what does that mean for us? Us as disciples of Jesus ought to learn this prayer so that when we pray this, we could be distinguished from the other disciples around. <laughs> that we could be distinguished, excuse me. We could be distinguished uh, from the other prayers or the other wants or desires that are happening around in our culture. So we make this our prayer. Father in heaven, holy is your name. So this is the prayer that we learn today. Also, Jesus did not just teach to pray, but he was a prolific prayer. He was praying all the time. Now, if this is hard on your brain like it is on mine, because he's God, yet he's also praying to God, uh, then welcome to the club. We're here, in th we're here in this together. We're gonna try and wrestle with that for the next couple of weeks, but, um, but just know that Jesus was uh, a strong believer in prayer, teacher in prayer, but he also did prayer a lot. Watch this in Luke 5. He is, uh, he's starting to attract quite a crowd. There's quite a few people coming behind him because he's healing and he's doing these breaking rules things. Um, and it says this, the news about Jesus spread even more and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. An entire ministry right in front of him. A lot of people who desired and who asked for him and yet he would take time away just to pray. So his di disciples saw that prayer was an integral part of his life. They see this, they want to be distinguished following Jesus, and they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. Like John taught his disciples, teach us to pray. So we get this landmark prayer, and I mean, it's beautiful too. It's beautiful too. It is, it is brief, and yet accessible and profound, right? If you read John 17, Jesus prays, prays for like 26 verses. Imagine if you were trying to memorize that. We'd be, we'd be trying to learn how to pray 26 verses. Um, and that's a great one. I suggest reading that one. I suggest learning from that one. But here, Jesus gives us this, this prayer almost to make sure that all of his people could learn it. It's accessible. It's brief. It's to the point, and yet it is profound the sections through this prayer, the categories through this prayer show us exactly what we need. So there's two lessons about prayer that I want to give just as a baseline, about, the, about Jesus' prayer, about the Lord's prayer, really about prayer as a habit at all. Uh, there's two lessons I want to give. The first one is this. Prayer is simply communication with our God. So if, if you're experienced with Christianity, if you think that this is supernatural wildness, just know, just know this, prayer is simply communication with our God, just like it would be communication with anybody else. Yes, it teaches along the way. It teaches us profound, deep, other things along the way than just communication. Yes, we are formed into, into people like Jesus when we pray. It is doing a formation kind of work when we're praying. Yes, there is prayer of listening, and there is prayer of responding. There is prayer of silence. There is prayer of petition, thanksgiving, adoration, confession. There's praying scripture, and so much more that we can get out of praying. But for right now, let's make this uh, easy. Let's not overcomplicate things. We get to talk to God. We get to communicate to God. It's a back and forth with our God. 
And that is simple, but it is deep. And that's this, number two, the second lesson, is prayer is a profound invitation to relationship with God. Profound invitation, isn't it? Do you realize, now this is maybe something that we take for granted now, but when Jesus taught this prayer, and certainly centuries and, and centuries before that, there was not a people who would have taken this lightly. There was not any people who would have taken it lightly that they get to speak directly to the God of the heavens and earth. We get to talk in this profound relationship with our God. So we ought to never take this for granted, right? So he created Jupiter and he, he created honeybees, right? So the gaseous ball of, of mass that we see in, the, in space, he creates this and he also creates honeybees, which we really need to preserve because the environment is really struggling without the honeybees. So we need, we need to preserve both Jupiter and the honeybees. Um, <laughs> praise be to God. Uh, he created biochemistry. Uh, some of you guys are like awake now, here we go of you nerds out there. This, he created biochemistry and he created babies. He created the heavens and their, and their majesty and their realm that we don't quite understand and he created the earth. The heavens and everything in them are his and we get to talk to him? This is a lesson that is simple but it is deep, it is profound. The psalmist is struck by this in a way that maybe we are not but this is why we have the Psalms to remind us. It says this in Psalm 8. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, right? Jupiter and honeybees, which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him? A son of man, or I like this, transa I like this translation, a mere mortal that you look after him. Why do you care? Why do you look to us? and care. All of this is yours. Every bit of this is yours. And yet you're right here with us, Jesus. You're right here with us, King. D.A. Carson is going to teach us a couple things today, but this is the first one. It says this, prayer perhaps more than any other religious activity is frequently considered a passive activity, recondite, even capricious. Jesus' teaching about prayer is direct and definite and simple and inviting. Prayer is not a mysterious burden, but an interrelational inter adventure. Somebody write a book, interrelational inter adventure. Prayer is not a mysterious burden, but an interrelational adventure with God, with Jesus as one's example and companion. So let's be clear. God is the end. Prayer is not the end in and of itself. Cultivating a prayer life is not the end of itself, but prayer um, leads us to the goal. I've heard some, some teachings that have seemed to misdirect some of this. And honestly, they were, they were wise in their context, and I think they were really, really, um, I think they're wonderful if we hear them in the right way. But I think they could be problematic if they confuse us to think that prayer is the, is the goal rather than a relationship with God teachings that go like this. Maybe you've heard these. Um, maybe, you, maybe you have not. Maybe you like these, and that's, f that's wonderful. Um, but let's not miss that this, is a, uh, that this is a, the goal is to be in relationship with God. So I've heard teachings that go like this. If God was not omniscient, what would he know about your life? 
if he if you had to talk with him to let him know everything that he did have to know about you, how much would he know? Martin Luther, or it was actually maybe Martin Luther King Jr. It seems like only the Lord knows, but there's a quote that goes like this. To be Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. To be Christian without prayer is no more than to be alive without breathing. Praying is like calling your mom and dad. They've done so much for you. They've done all these things for you. But do you even pick up the phone to call? Now, I get it. Like, I mean, I get it. I hear these things, and I just, like, it just weighs on me. I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't pray enough. God doesn't know me at all because, because I'm supposed to be telling him all of the details of my life. I'm a terrible child who can't pick up the phone and call my dad. And then apparently I'm also spiritually suffocating because I'm not breathing. Now, these teachings are good in their context, hear me. But we're missing the point if we're trying to make prayer something that is the goal rather than a relationship with God. The danger is that if we're not careful, we can end up white-knuckling some sort of prayer discipline where we swear we'll pray more. We swear we will pray more. And it's not joyful. It doesn't give us what we need. It doesn't give us the relationship with God. Or it's such a shameful topic for us that we retreat, that we withdraw. We, we don't want to pray because we don't pray enough, and so every time we try, it brings up guilt, or it brings up shame. Now, our goal in this series is not to force a new discipline into you, but hear me, we hope that you do pray more. Like, we hope that this does cause more prayer. Um, our goal is this, by discovering and exploring the accessibility and the abundance found in prayer. We will adopt the activity, that is prayer, to cultivate the relationship with God. And that relationship, that is what is so beautiful. So this is the first lesson today, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, let's get into a little bit more of the scripture. Let's get into persistence and playing in the sanctuary. Persistence and playing in the sanctuary. Let's look at Luke 11, verses 5 through 10. It says this, he also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because I have a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. You're making way too much noise. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his fri friend's shameless boldness, I love that, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. We see persistence in this parable. We see we see a friend knocking and won't let him go back to sleep. Persistence. Now, there's two parables by Jesus that teach persistence in prayer. This is not the only one. This one would be called a friend at midnight. A par the parable could be called a friend at midnight. There's another one, one of my favorites, called the unjust judge and the widow. And this is in Luke 18. And Jesus is intentionally praying or is intentionally teaching that there is an, that there is an element of persistence to prayer that is expected by Jesus' followers. Not showmanship, not loud and lofty words, 
but persistence. Persistence is expected. DA is going to teach us something again. He says this. The fact that Jesus made persistence the subject of two different parables indicates its importance in relation to prayer. In the present parable, the perseverance of the petitioner is accentuated by the Greek word anadia, which throughout Greek literature has a thoroughly pejorative meaning. It means asking rudely, even acting rudely, to get a request at any cost without thought of propriety or shame. Anadia. The implication of this word for the parable is both bracing and abrasive. The parable puts no premium on niceness in prayers. I think some of us need to hear just this this morning. The parable puts no premium on niceness in prayers or on prayers. The accent falls on approaching God with a not-to-be-deterred attitude. Prayer is not a polite religious sentiment. It is something on which people must be willing to stake their lives. The determination not to give up until God has heard us. I was uh, originally, um, my first ministry job was in this little church in Knoxville, Tennessee. And like a lot of us on staff there, I was really broke. And my, our ministry assistant was also really broke. And so we were really close friends. She had this... Uh, not just because we were broke, come on. <laughs> That's funny though. Um, she had this, uh, the ministry assistant had this adorable little girl, her name is Elsa, and uh, childcare is wildly expensive, so she was at the church all the time. And I mean, what a better place for kids to be running around, right? So Elsa was always um, really calm. Like any five-year-old, she was always perfectly still she never asked for any attention. She just was constantly um, the delight as she sat in her beanbag on her iPad. No, when she got done with her iPad and when she got done with the beanbag, then I could see her head coming into my office. And as she got into my office, she'd sit down on my chair. She wouldn't say a thing. I'd say, good morning, Elsa. She'd say, good morning, David. And it wouldn't take too long before she would say, would you look at this? I'm like, Elsa, I'm working. She's like, yeah, okay. She's drawing on her iPad. Would you look at this? Yeah, Elsa, I'll look at it. Show me. That's so pretty. I love how you use pink and blue. That's really, that's really beautiful. Would you look at this? Elsa, I really got to get some work done. It did not take too long before Elsa had me drawing on the floor of my office with her. It did not take too long before that we were doing her gymnastic routines through the sanctuary. And so we would be doing cartwheels or whatever else through the sanctuary um, because she started by saying, would you look at this? Would you look at this? This makes even more sense when we realize that our God is Father. But I'll get to that in a second. Elsa showed me something very important here, is that we don't bother God enough. Now, I mean, I don't know where your background is coming from. I don't know if you are coming from that skeptic background, if you're not even sure if prayer is moving things, you're not even sure if prayer is doing anything, or if you're coming from a background like me, you're worried that you might be bothering God. So we refrain from praying. Now Elsa, let me tell you what, she wasn't worried once if she was bothering David. She was never worried about me and bothering me, and she would just say, would you look at this? Would you look at this? And I think we need to learn from Elsa today. So that's no matter which way we're coming from, we have the license, Jesus has told us, he wants us to know, 
we have the license, we have the freedom to take our God and say, would you look at this? Would you look at this? I don't know what's happening here, but would you look at this? King, I don't know what's going on in this area of my life, but, but would you look at this? Because I don't think these numbers are adding up. Now, I don't know where you are, but this is the lesson today, is that our persistent prayers do good work to remind us that we must rely on God for our faith. Simultaneously, and this is my favorite, simultaneously, they comfort us. Our God is always present, listening, responding to prayers. God, would you look at this? God, would you look at this? He's not far. Reinhold Niebuhr says this, the human ego assumes its self-sufficiency and self-mastery and imagines itself secure. It does not recognize the contingent and dependent character of its life and believes itself to be the author of its own existence. My friends, when we learn to let go of this self-sufficiency, self-mastery, and persistently pray, God, would you look at this? God, would you look at this? We will learn what God has to teach us in this persistence. Our God wishes to be bothered. Is that weird to you? Is that odd to you? Let's work on this together. Our God wants to be bothered. Let's go to him again, and let's go to him again. It teaches us reliance, and it teaches us about his constant presence. So we have, this last, uh, we have this last lesson today. We've talked about the Lord's Prayer, or Jesus' Prayer. We've talked about persistence and playing in the sanctuary. Now let's talk about our Father in the courtroom. This is Luke 11, verses 11 through 13. It says this, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus uses a powerful illustration here, like he does all of the time. He has this parabolette, this, this mini parable to teach us here. Can you imagine Elsa again? Her little blonde head, like, popping into my office. If she asked for something, snake, or excuse me, snack to play. <laughs> um, there's Grace here. There's Grace. Come on. Uh, if she comes into my office and asks for something, a snack, or to play, or would you look at this for the hundredth time on the day, I couldn't imagine. And, I mean, I have some, I have some patience, but, you know, there's, there's limits. We get there. I couldn't imagine ever handing her something that would hurt her. I can't imagine ever giving her something. And I'm not even a father. I'm no father. So I can't imagine those of you in here who have children who you would lay down anything for. And me seeing Elsa, I would do what I could to keep her safe. Now, our relationship with our own earthly fathers helps us with this lesson. I mean, let, let me walk this out here because our relationships with our fathers is not uniform across this room. There's many of us here, if you were, um, I will say, if you were blessed like I was, my father was um, 
wonderful. I mean, he was sweet, and uh, he he is sweet and um, so kind and cares for people in a really fierce way. Um, and so when I hear God as Father, I think, wow, my God's good, or he's even better than the fact that my dad has made some mistakes. My dad is, has messed up. He's human. And yet my, f- my heavenly father makes no mistakes. I can't imagine the kind of father that God is. Now, if you're here and, and your, fa- your father was not kind, your father was not gentle, was not someone who showed love, God has something brand new and beautiful for you. And as we see this, and there's this turning and wrenching in our gut that says, this is wrong. There is something not right here. It makes us remember that our Heavenly Father acts not like that. But He is kind. He's lowly and gentle in heart. Or if we uh, didn't have fathers, and they're absent, didn't know who they were, uh, maybe only partially knew who they were, there may be longings in you for these for these good lessons, for this gentleness of character, for this, for this presence and provision. And all of this, I hope, in one way or another, whether this is an easy lesson or a difficult lesson, one way or another, this pulls us to the Heavenly Father to say, there is a God who is really good. There is a Father who is better than, than harsh fathers, who are better than absent fathers, who are who's so much better than even good fathers. And we can go to him and trust. We can go to him and pray. If we know how to give good gifts to, uh, to our friends, uh, to our children, how much more does the Heavenly Father, who's created all things good, and knows how you operate and how you work? Uh, J.I. Packer says this about fatherhood. He said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father, his or her father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his or her worship and prayers and their whole outlook on life, it means that they do not understand Christianity very well at all. Now let me, let me defend why J.I. Packers takes such a strong statement here, that you must understand God as Father to understand Christianity. Let me, let me defend him a little bit here. There are two themes in the, in the New Testament. We see them through Paul all of the time, uh, but you see them through all of the epistles. There are two themes. One is justification, and one is adoption. So if you're a Bible nerd right now, I mean, you're ready. You're ready for this. But if this is, there are two themes through the New Testament that we see all the time. Justification and adoption. They are not synonyms. We get them confused. We, we may even interchange them now and then. They are not the same. Justification uh, is the necessary gospel work, isn't it? So if we were sinners, this is just the bare bones gospel, right? This is, this is the gospel uh, in its simplest form. As sinners... Standing in front of a judge, we needed what? Justification. And Jesus gave that to us on the cross. Amen? Come on, church. That's the, that's the gospel. So this is, this is justification. That by standing in our place, Jesus on the cross justified us from our sins. That is a huge theme throughout the New Testament. You see that Paul writing entire chapters on being justified. 
um, of, of being called innocent. This is necessary gospel work, but in my opinion, it is not what really makes the gospel its most beautiful. Hang with me. Adoption. Adoption is what makes the gospel so, so beautiful. You see, J.I. Packer teaches this, that justification is necessary work, but it implies no relationship, does it? Does a judge have a relationship with criminals? Does a judge have a relationship to those on, on his court? Probably not. Our relationship comes from adoption. This is a unique, beautiful thing that the gospel teaches us. First John um, teaches this. It says, see what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know him is that, know us is that it didn't know him. That we are called God's children. So this Father in heaven calls us not just justified, but calls us child. Church, we ought to pray with that in mind. Child of God. Not just, not just follower, not just disciple. Those are all true, but child of God is completely and beautifully different. There's an Old Testament book uh, that's, that teaches this, and I'll be done. There's this book in the Old Testament called uh, Esther. And the book of Esther, if you haven't read it, uh, is dramatic. Um, strong female protagonists. It's fantastic. Um, and Esther and her people are in captivity once again. God's people are once again by themselves um, taken over by another people. As often happens, there is a plot to kill God's people. There's a plot that starts rising to kill all of God's people. Esther, st our strong protagonist in the, in the Old Testament, hears and sees of this happening, and she and her uncle Mordecai come up with a plan to free them. She must walk into the courts, ask for favor from the king, and try to divert this plan. Try to divert this plan. There's only one problem, is that anybody who walks into the court unannounced is subject to the death penalty unless they find the favor of the king. You must be announced. You do not get to enter into the court. Do you see where I'm going with this? Esther, this is what happens. She's, she, she's very aware of this. She says, all the royal officials and the people of the royal provinces know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard and who has not been summoned, the death penalty. Unless the king extends the golden scepter, his favor, allowing that person to live, I have not been summoned to appear before the king in the last 30 days. She knows what could happen to her. In her boldness, in her bravery, she approaches the king and she is granted his favor. Eventually, all people are saved. It's a good story. You ought to read it. Do you know who isn't killed in the courtroom? Do you know who doesn't have to ask for permission to enter? The king's children. I mean, this truth alone changes everything about the way that we pray to our God. Are you afraid of him? Because he's your, he's your father. Do you know that he loves you? That he grants you favor? Do you realize 
that the royal courtroom is open to us right now. What would that mean for you? What would that do for your spiritual and your, what would that do for your spiritual life and your life right here if you could walk into the courtroom and speak to the king? Because he's your father. John Onwuchekwa uh, says this. It says, this is the blessing of the fatherhood of God to us. It's not for those who are perfect or elite by any stretch of the imagination. Rather, we are the prodigal son, squandering our God-given dignity on things that don't satisfy. We are children desperately in need of a father willing to constantly give unconditional love because we constantly fail at all the conditions. God alone can be this kind of father to us. I'm going to take a second and respond in prayer. So however you want to take this uh, posture, there's not a lot of room in here, we realize. But if you need to kneel, if you need to stand in the back, if you need to talk with somebody, if you need to respond in silence and in gratitude, if you need to repent, I don't know what this looks like for you today, but but enter into the courtroom of your father today.